We should be very careful about artificial intelligence. We are summoning the demon. Hey, welcome back to the Babylon Singularity Podcast. I am your host, Peter Herter. Today, we're going to get into the book of Revelation. It's been a long time coming. I've been looking forward to getting into the content of this book for um, quite some time. I feel like everything I've done up to this point has set the table. We have marched down the field, and now we are on the precipice of getting into the end zone. It's a football analogy for those who don't watch sports. I feel like I spent a lot of time in a lot of different places building up to this moment. And now that I'm actually here at this moment, I'm <laughs> sadly uh, overwhelmed by the amount of information. So please bear with me as I stumble through the volume of prophetic detail and information in this book, because this book is overwhelming. So I have to zero in on specific passages. I have to zero in on specific concepts. It's not going to necessarily be chronological. I'm not just going to walk through the book of Revelation from chapter 1 to chapter 22. I am going to approach this book conceptually. I'm going to start by telling the story of the dragon. I'm going to begin in Revelation chapter 12. So if you got your Bible, go ahead and open it up to Revelation chapter 12. I'm going to bounce around here and there a little bit. Because there's just even in this topic alone is an incredible volume of biblical background, um, theological um, underpinnings, and foundational realities that just jumping in to Revelation 12, it feels like I need, you know, 10 episodes just to lay the groundwork, but I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to delve in. I'm just going to dive in and pray for the best. I believe there is a lot we can learn by just opening this to this chapter and reading and asking the Lord to lead us in his word, to lead us in his truth today. So that's kind of what I'm doing here. Like even in this moment, I'm just like, God, there is so much here. And I feel like I'm going to be scattered in a hundred different directions if I don't just lock in to the actual passage and read and ask God to lead the way. My, I feel like my mind and my heart are filled with libraries of information that, that I could get lost in, and I don't want to do that. I want to build your faith. I want to point you to Jesus. I want to equip you to watch, to pray, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to do that. I don't want to, I don't want to 
get lost in a bunch of information, even as fascinating and as cool and fun as, as it might be to talk about. I am here to call you to follow Jesus all the way home. I want you to follow Jesus all the way home. And I'm here to tell you that the waters that are up ahead are kind of crazy. If you think the days that we're living in now are kind of crazy, you haven't seen anything yet. Where this world is heading is almost beyond conception. The Bible gives incredible insight on where this world's going. So we can watch with confidence. We can watch in faith and we can hold to our savior as he powers us through the days ahead without fear, with total confidence in his grace and power to sustain us and keep us. Because at the end of the day, it's not going to be about how great of a Christian or how heroic we are, it's going to come down to what it always comes down to. Can we follow Jesus? Can we hold to him? Can we trust him? Because he is worthy of trust and he has more than enough power to bring us home. So I want to spend a little bit of time in uh, Revelation 12 today. Like I said, open up your uh, Bibles to Revelation 12. I am not entirely sure. I don't have it all written out exactly how this uh, episode is going to go. I know I got some high points that I want to hit. And I'm just, you know, mostly I'm trying not to be distracted with the numerous rabbit holes that I could very easily follow. I'm just asking God, please help me to declare your word with clarity to stay on point here and not get distracted, not follow different threads of truths that go into entire, you know, uh, universes of the theological understanding. It's just like I could get lost so easily, so quickly that I'm just asking God, give me grace to teach Revelation chapter 12. It's an incredible chapter. I, I don't think that I, there's no other chapter like it. As far as just like summing up the devil, there's no other chapter like it, period. I can, I think I can say that very confidently that there is no other chapter in the Bible that gives as much information about Satan as clearly as it gives it. Um, and I need God's grace to make this episode helpful, encouraging. I need God's grace to declare his, his, his word in, uh, in power, I'm just asking for heavenly power. So God, we ask you for power right now. In the spirit of God, we ask you, wash us from all of our sins. Cleanse us in the blood of Jesus. Make us new. Clothe us in power that we might enter into the fullness of your truth, your light. Show us what you have for us today. Open your word. Open our eyes. Open our ears to hear your voice. Your word is truth, O oh God, and we look to you. You are our salvation. You are our refuge. 
And no one else can save. Only you, Father. Jesus, be exalted in your word. Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence. We welcome your teaching. Show us Jesus. Show us your word. We look to you. We thank you for it. We trust you, God, in the name of Jesus. I am really not even going to give any context here. I'm just going to throttle into Revelation chapter 12 and go from here. So verse 1, Revelation 12. It might be helpful to know that the book of Revelation is about uh, John who was persecuted and arrested on account of the word of God and the testimony he gave in Jesus. So he's arrested by the Roman authorities. He's imprisoned on a small island off the coast of Greece. And he says, on the Lord's day, he was in the spirit and he receives a vision. So he is seeing these visions in the sky. He's just, he's out one night, he's praying, he's praying in the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden, God opens everything up, says, hey, come on up here. I want you to write down everything that you see. And this, this, that, in essence, is the book of Revelation. God just, saw it's just showing this incredible vision to John. And he has this unmatched, unequaled uh, encounter with the Lamb of God. And he writes it down. And so we we are reading of the vision that John saw, that God gave John, showed him in the heavens. Basically, John's looking up in the sky, and he's watching a movie play out in front of him. But the, the director and the maker of the movie is Almighty God, who wants to say some things about some heavenly realities that we don't have a very good idea about. The director of the movie is God. The screen writer is God. The producer is God. <laughs> like he, we, we, John is watching, like when the credits roll for the book of Revelation, like after, you know, the vision plays out in the sky and the credits roll, like, like every Everything in it is like director God, writer God, producer God. Like this is God's movie that he's showing to John. And God's movie shows us a lot about what we are heading into in the days ahead. So we really want to pay attention to God's movie. Not only do we want to pay attention to it, there's actually the book of Revelation begins, and I'll just touch on this briefly because it's worth, worth doing. John says in verse 3, chapter 1, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear and keep what is written in it, for the time is near. There is a special blessing for those who read this prophecy aloud. There is a special blessing blessing upon those who hear it, who attune their minds, who attune their ears. They turn their heads and listen carefully and attune themselves to what is written in it. There is a special blessing for those who keep what is written in it. 
And so before you're tempted just to dismiss this book out of hand, because, ah, those, those prophecies, who, who even knows what those are, t- are even talking about? And, or, oh, uh, they were already fulfilled. Or, oh, man, all that symbolic language, it has no, you know, has no bearing on, on reality. It's just kind of this fantasy book. I don't read, you know, Dungeons and Dragons. Before you dismiss this book, remember the blessing of Revelation. Blessed are those who read this aloud. Blessed are those who hear what is written in it. Blessed are those who keep what is written in it. There's a blessing that we need. We need that blessing from heaven. That blessing that John says, I want it. I don't want to dismiss that. Especially if I'm called to be living in the days of these prophecies. I especially want the blessing of revelation if I'm living in the days of revelation. I want that blessing. I don't want to pass it up. I, I, think, I think you're a fool to just dismiss this book. I think you're a fool to dismiss this book. So that being said, John is seeing a vision. He is seeing God's movie play out in the sky, and he's writing it down. And So we're just kind of zooming into one part of God's movie here. It's not necessarily chronological, but I do think it's strategically sound to begin with the primordial rebel, to begin with the one where all the trouble starts from, right? He is the one, Satan, the dragon, is the one that seduces Adam and Eve with the promise of intelligence as the pathway to become like God. Remember Genesis chapter 3. Satan in the form of a serpent comes to Adam and Eve, comes to Eve specifically, and says, you want to be like God, right? Okay, well, if you want to be like God, I'm telling you the way to become like God is by eating that fruit, that fruit of knowledge, good and evil. See, you're, you don't have this level of cognition. This intelligence is closed off to you. You don't know things that are available for you to know. And if you will take off these limitations and enjoy unlimited knowledge, unlimited intelligence, then you're going to become just like God. It was the pathway that Satan had chosen. Satan himself had chosen the pathway of intelligence. He believed that his intelligence was sufficient to displace God to take his throne. He thought he was smart enough to win. And so Satan invites Adam and Eve into that very same seduction that, Hey, if you want to take God's place, if you want to dethrone God and kick him out of heaven, then you need to, you need to follow the pathway that I have chosen It's the pathway of intelligence. Superior, unlimited intelligence is the way to dethrone God. So this primordial rebel who spreads his rebellion into the earth is where this whole thing all begins. It doesn't end there. It begins there. So to understand this 
being, this entity, who is he, what is he about? That's what the, the, the uh, Revelation chapter 12 is all about. So Revelation 12 verse 1. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains, the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns. On his heads, seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. The dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, she, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. John sees a vision in heaven. He sees a woman crowned with 12 stars. He sees this woman crying out in pain because she is in labor. She's about to have a baby. Then John sees a red dragon with seven heads. And this red dragon with seven heads has seven diadems, crowns. And this dragon wants to devour the son that is about to be born. The dragon is unable to devour the sun because the sun goes up to God's throne and the woman escapes into the wilderness where she is protected. Okay, that's, that's the first part of Revelation 12, verses 1 through 6. Woman crowned with 12 stars, red dragon with seven heads, Woman in labor, about to give birth to a son. Dragon wants to devour the son. The son is caught up to God's throne. The woman escapes to the wilderness. This is God's movie. This is what John is seeing in the heavens. Now, this is a very compressed uh telling of the story of Israel, the birth of the Messiah, and of the campaign of the adversary to devour God's son, to destroy the kingdom of God. In the earth. Now, when we look at how that played out in real time, 
Now, it probably t- we might just spend a little bit of time to to explain, like, while the woman with 12 stars, the 12 stars, I, I agree with the traditional conventional understanding, the 12 stars, the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, this is, this is God's chosen people. So just to rewind and retell the story, because this is such a compressed telling of such a big story that we actually need to spend a little bit of time unpacking this very compressed story, right? We started, you know, back back a bit, I was talking about how Satan deceived, seduced Adam and Eve into choosing intelligence as the pathway to becoming like God. Now that didn't end with the garden. You see Satan luring humanity again and again with this very same promise that, hey guys, if you just apply your intelligence, if you just use your intelligence, it will open up any door that you can imagine. We we saw it in Genesis 11 when humanity was one they came together as one, one language. They had a bunch of groupthink going on in Genesis 11. And what did their genius groupthink lead them to? What did it result in? It resulted in the belief that if they took their uh, scientific, technological understanding of architecture, which was basically, you know, advanced bricks at that moment in, in human history. It, it wasn't, you know, we're, we're not going to say it's like super uh, exciting technology. I mean, we've, we've moved beyond bricks at this point in history, right? We, like, but for them at that point in time, like, hey, we have these architectural uh, abilities to build things really high up into the sky. Hey, that's fantastic. The devil lures them with, hey, take your scientific knowledge, take your tech, the most advanced technology that you have and build it up into the sky and we'll build a Babel, a gateway of the gods, right? It's, it's this intelligence, using our intelligence to reach up and transcend into the heavens. God sees it. He says, oh boy, this is only the beginning of what they'll do. Like they're not going to stop with the tower. They're going to go, they're going to, they're going to keep improving their methods, keep modifying what they're doing until they're actually successful at what they're trying to do. And God says, whatever they imagine will become possible to them. So Satan is luring humanity again and again with, hey, use your intelligence as the pathway to godhood. Use your intelligence as the way to dethrone God. Take your place in the heavens. Evict God. Get him out of here. Get him out of the earth. We'll reign this thing. We'll reign together. You know, it's kind of like Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker, like Darth trying to talk Luke into, hey, you got to join me as we rule the galaxy together. And Satan's doing the same thing with fallen humanity. Use your intelligence. Join with me. We we are in this rebellion together. We will dethrone our creator. We will take his place. And that's what we have, right, with with this fallen world, this perpetual um, campaign, a confederation of rebellion against the God of heaven. And in this fallen world, 
where God has to literally send a flood and wipe everyone away because they're constantly falling into greater and greater levels of wickedness. God's answer to you know the, the Tower of Babel is, I am going to confuse the languages so you guys can't talk to each other anymore. Like when you guys get together and you have one mind and you have one language, you are way too evil. Like I'm going to break up your network of evil by making sure you don't understand each other. And so when you're speaking to each other, you have no idea what you're saying. And so boom, the, you know, the, the builders of Babel disperse, they go off in the di- different parts of the world and everyone settles in the places that they've been settling. And we've been in that place for, you know, thousands of years where language barriers have, have basically made it impossible for humanity to join as one. Now, of course, technology is making, bringing, taking down every one of those communication barriers. And once again, we are heading into the day when the earth speaks one language and there's the, the earth is able to enter into that same kind of group think that they were experiencing during the Tower of Babel. And they're going to use their intelligence to build, to transcend that's the whole idea of transhumanism, right? Transcendent humans to transcend into heaven, to take their place among the gods, to take God's place. The same old lie that's been going on since the Garden of Eden. Use your intelligence to become like God. Same old lie, same old result. So Satan's got Adam and Eve and humanity locked up under this delusional cloud that it is by our works, it's by our intelligence, it's by our partnership with Satan that we are going to take our place in the heavens. It's this same old lie. Now, in the context of this fallen world where Satan has taken control, has usurped Adam's authority, and is ruling as the prince of the power of the air... God begins to do some very spectacular things. God reaches out to a man named Abraham, who's actually a Chaldean. Abraham was actually a Chaldean. If you remember the Tower of Babel, it was in the land of Chaldea. And Abraham was from that land. So he actually calls out a stranger in Babylon. He says, Abraham, you know, you're not of this world. Um, I like you. We're friends. Um, and God begins to work redemptively through Abraham. He calls Abraham and says, hey, Abraham, I'm going to make you a promise. I'm going to make you, uh, I'm going to tell you your descendants will be greater than the stars in the heavens. Of course, Abraham doesn't have any kids, it, it, you know, so it takes this, this grand unfolding, unpacking, telling of God's redemptive plan in history, right? So w- while Satan has the world on lock, God redemptively calls Abraham, sovereignly calls him out and says, you know what? Out of all the people in the world, of all the nations of the world, everyone's under Satan's authority, everyone's under Satan's power, but I'm going to call you Abraham, and I'm going to call your family, right? 
Isaac, Jacob become Israel, the 12 tribes of Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel would be God's chosen people, God's chosen vehicle for the arrival of his son. All of those promises to Abraham, all of those promises, Isaac to Jacob, Joseph, Moses, David, what was the point of it all? Why was God so into choosing one people out of all the earth while Satan had everything else locked down? God's like, nope, these are my people, and I'm going to do something spectacular here. What was that thing? He was going to send his son. So in Revelation chapter 12, when we see this woman with 12 stars, we're seeing God's redemptive call of Israel. And why is that? Why is God's redemptive call of Israel so important? It's because it is the vehicle by which God would send his son into the earth. So you can imagine why the dragon wouldn't be too happy about this situation. You can imagine why the dragon would be working to destroy Israel and devour the son that would come through that nation, that chosen nation. God calls Israel into being in a fallen world so that he can send his son and fulfill his redemptive purpose and plan for the world. That is not on the dragon's agenda. That is not something the dragon is interested in. In fact, the dragon seems to be very much committed to the very opposite outcome. He got Adam and Eve on lock he, got, he has humanity believing this lie that they can use their intelligence to take God's place. He has humanity in league with him in his confederation, his rebellion. And here comes God with a redemptive plan to bring his son from heaven into the earth. No, the dragon's going to stop. You can do everything he can to stop that. And the dragon did everything he could do to stop it. Just remember the story. Remember the story. When Jesus was born into the world, Herod went in to Bethlehem and murdered every boy under the age of two. Murdered them all. That's part of the story. That's in the Gospels. That's what Herod did. Why, Herod, why did you go and murder all of these? Why, why, did, why did God warn Joseph and Mary in a dream and tell them to get Jesus out of Bethlehem and get him into Egypt? Why, why, was he, why did he need to get out of Israel? Because Herod was demonized. I know Herod was, you know, worried about his, you know, I, I'm sure Satan was using Herod's 
concern about losing his throne, losing his dynasty to somebody else. Certainly that factored into it. But the prime driving influence of why Herod went in and killed all of the, the, the uh, boys under the age of two was simply because Satan wanted to devour the Son of God. He wanted to kill him right then and right there. Didn't work. So Jesus grows up. He, he, returns, he returns to Israel, grows up in Nazareth. About his, when he's about 30 years old, his ministry begins. God says, it is time. He goes, he gets baptized by John, immediately goes into the desert, immediately goes into the wilderness to face off against whom? To face off against the adversary, the destroyer. And what is this adversary trying to do? He's trying to destroy the Son of God. So this is what we need to understand about our enemy. 1 Peter chapter 5 says that we need to be watchful because our adversary, the devil, is walking around like a lion seeking anyone he can devour. That is the devil's gig, right? That's what he's about. Revelation chapter 9, just real quick, Revelation, this is the part where I, I get worried about getting scattered, right? So I'm trying to stay on lock here. Revelation 9, verse 11, says that they have a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit. There, he is. there it is right there, the angel of the bottomless pit. That, okay, so I'll just go ahead and say it right now. Satan is an angel. All right, I wasn't sure if he was an angel. He is an angel. For some reason, he's an angel with seven heads, and he's a dragon. But God makes angels like that. So there, boom, got it. Uh, we'll, we'll figure that out later. But verse 11, they have a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon. In Greek, he is called Apollyon. Apollyon, this Greek name for Satan, the angel of the bottomless pit. His name means the destroyer. God created an adversary to himself. Why did God create an adversary at this level? Because God's God and he gets to decide what happens, how it happens. I don't, I can't get into the why, how. I, God didn't give me that information. I don't know if that information's in the Bible or not. I haven't found it yet. But the fact is God created an adversary. And this adversary, his name is Apollyon. He is, Apollyon means the destroyer. So that's what you have to keep in mind. Anytime... The subject of the devil comes up. His name is Apollyon, the destroyer. Why is that important? Because that tells you what he is after. That is, tells you the final end for which the devil exists. He exists to destroy. Everything else is simply a means 
to that end, right? So when the serpent comes to Adam and Eve and he seduces them into taking the fruit and eating the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, it's not because he's like, yay, now I, I got you guys to sin. Ha ha, woo, yay. Like my, my mission in life is now accomplished. No, 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 no. That is a means to his end. What is his end? He wants to destroy Adam and Eve. He wants to destroy humanity. I say this because, you know, sometimes we think we can trifle about with sin and we can toy around with demons and the devil and it's no big deal. What we don't understand is that the sin itself is not the end. The sin is the means. It's how Satan gets us to be destroyed. So when we engage in idolatry, when we engage in immorality, when we engage with sin, that is not the end. That is the means. That's the hook. Because once Satan hooks you, he then reels you in slowly but surely reels you in to destruction. That is what the dragon Apollyon is about. And we need to be clear. So like when we think of like, oh, what's, what's the devil trying to get us to do? Oh, the devil's trying to get us to sin. The devil's trying to get us to worship him. The devil's trying to get us deceived. The devil's, you know, there's probably a list of a hundred different things and even accusation himself, his Satan means accuser. His accusations are merely a means to an end. His, him getting people involved in immorality, in idolatry, in Satan worship, in oppressing others, all of these wicked things that you would think like, oh, he should be happy with that. No, he's actually not happy with that state of things. He is not happy until it is all burned to the ground. He is Apollyon. He is the destroyer. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your church. He wants to destroy your children. He wants to destroy everything. This adversary that we have, this adversary that is prowling about like a lion, is no joke. He is in it to win it, and he won't stop until he has destroyed everything. So this is the, this is the adversary who is after destroying the Son of God. This is the adversary who has Adam and Eve's fallen race on lock, deceived and believing they can use intelligence to become like God, that they can reach up into the heavens. But it is God redeeming work to send his son through Israel, the woman, 
See, the devil wanted to de- devour Jesus. He wanted, he wanted Herod to be able to kill him when he was just a child. He wanted to take Jesus out into the wilderness and tempt him with sin and destroy the Son of God in the Judean wilderness. He wanted to use the men in the, in the synagogue when Jesus read out of, out of Isaiah in Luke 4.18 and said, you know, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach gospel, the gospel to the poor. And the men, when Jesus rebuked them and said, you're not even going to receive me. You're going to say, physician, heal yourself. The men raged against him. They wanted to throw him off a cliff right then. Satan wanted them to throw him off the cliff. Satan was again and again trying to kill and destroy Jesus, but he could not touch him until finally the day came when God had chosen to offer the perfect lamb to sacrifice his only son, And the day came when God handed his son over like a lamb to the slaughter. And men and devils did their worst. They rejoiced in the slaughter. They were gleeful in his death. Satan thought, ah, I did it. I devoured this one. But then Jesus said, it's finished. He dies on the cross and it doesn't end there. You know, fallen men have no idea what they've done. They're they're totally clueless. The veil in the temple tears in two. It is finished. The perfect blood has been shed Jesus has overcome. He has made an open show of triumph over his enemies. Where the devil has thought he has won and devoured the the child that was to come through Israel, the child of promise, the son of man, the son of God, the devil thought he had him defeated and devoured in the grave. But Jesus had obeyed his father, even to the point of death, even a death on the cross. And he won. Jesus won the victory. But it doesn't end there. For three days, Jesus fulfills the prophecy of Jonah. For three days, he goes down into the lowest parts of the earth. It says he led captivity captive. He goes down now exactly what he does down there. Not sure. But one thing I am sure of is he is going down to declare absolute authority over the lowest realms of the earth. He had come from the highest heaven. He had humbled himself into the form of a servant, in the form of a man. He had died the death 
of a criminal. And he goes down even lower, overcoming every level, every level that was once under the dominion of Satan, once under the dominion of the dragon, Jesus is taking the keys of death and Hades. He's apparently opening Hades and leading captives out of captivity. Don't know how that works, but apparently that's what is happening. Absolute authority coming from heaven down to earth, accomplishing God's perfect will, authorizing absolute authority on earth, descending all the way down to the lowest parts of the earth, and then on the third day, out from the tomb, Jesus rises. No one took his life from him. He laid it down. And nobody took it back except him. Jesus takes back his life, never to die again. That's where you say, hallelujah, God. Praise Jesus. Thank you. That is amazing. We bless your name, God. Thank you. Jesus rises from the grave. The tomb could not hold him. And he awaits for the ascension when he would be all of heaven cheering and awaiting for his return. All of heaven cheering, waiting the return of the Son of God. Jesus comes out. He's in the garden. There's Mary weeping, doesn't know what happened to the body. She thinks the Pharisees stole him away. And Jesus is like, Mary, you have no idea. You have no idea what's awaiting me in heaven right now. All of heaven is waiting for me to be presented before the Ancient of Days. But that's just how cool Jesus is. He's like, yeah, I'm here. I'm, I've got this last, whatever it is, 50, like, how many days was it between his resurrection and his, his ascension? Some, a couple of months or something like that, or a month or a month and a half or something. I, I don't know exactly. Um, but he is teaching and preaching and showing them with indisputable proof that he is resurrected that he is going to his father. And we actually, in Daniel 7, we actually see Daniel actually gets a glimpse of Jesus' return into heaven. Jesus returns into heaven. Daniel chapter 7 says, says, I saw, verse 13, I saw in the night visions, behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. He came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all people and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. His kingdom one that will never be destroyed. Apollyon will not destroy this kingdom, 
Apollyon cannot touch this kingdom. Jesus ascends into heaven, takes his rightful place at the right hand of God, where all authority in heaven and on earth are given to him. The dragon has failed. He wanted to devour the child that was coming from Israel. The dragon wanted to devour the son of God. He tried. He thought he did it. He thought he pulled it off. But the child, it says, Verse 5, Revelation 12, verse 5. The one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, her child was caught up to God and his throne. The dragon, the devourer, Apollyon, the destroyer, could not touch this one. He came with absolute authority fulfilled the perfect will of God, became the Lamb of God, slain for the sin of the world, descended into the lowest parts, took captivity captive, secured the keys of death and Hades, rose again on the third day, resurrected forever, declared his resurrection with indisputable truth and proof and ascended on a cloud up into the sky, up into heaven where he was received with all of heaven rejoicing to take his rightful place at the right hand of God. the dragon failed. The destroyer lost. And in the next episode, we're going to talk about how the devil, the dragon, lost his place in heaven. What was his place in heaven? What was he doing before? Why did he lose it? But for now, I'm just going to kind of wrap it up with this great truth and this great reality. The destroyer, as much as he wants to destroy your life, as much as he would love to use sin, immorality, idolatry as the means of your destruction, he can't have you. There is a There is blood that speaks a better word over your life. We overcome him by the blood of the lamb. Jesus, the son of God, the son of man, has defeated this dragon. He has canceled every right the dragon has. If you will believe, if you will follow, 
the dragon can have no power over you at all. In fact, Jesus says, I've given you power over all of the enemy. Serpents, scorpions, every demonic spirit and power over the very power of the dragon himself. Jesus Christ gives us power. The destroyer cannot destroy our lives. He cannot have access to our lives. We are in Christ. We are hidden in God. And the destroying power of the destroying one is rendered powerless against us. So we must walk in the Spirit after our Lord and our God. We must follow Jesus, trusting in Him and in His victory alone, because our adversary is no joke. And He will be looking for access points. He will be trying to find ways to break in claw into our lives if we will let him. But it isn't the sin that he's interested in. He's, the, he's interested in destruction. But God has given Jesus a kingdom that will never be destroyed. God has awarded Jesus, the victorious son of man, a kingdom that will never be destroyed. And you are called to be part of that kingdom. A kingdom that cannot be destroyed by Apollyon. A kingdom that goes on forever and ever. Not just today and tomorrow, but forever. So this is a call. Like Peter. To be watchful and sober. To be vigilant. Because your adversary is walking around, prowling like a lion seeking anyone they can devour. But you resist him in the faith. Believe. Declare the name of Jesus. Declare the power of the gospel. Stand in faith. Plead the blood of Jesus over you, over your family, over your church. You have the armor of God. We are called to war. So I think I'm just going to kind of leave it off today. This is kind of a primer. Um, I'm just, I guess, tackling verses one through six here. Next episode, I'm going to get into uh, Satan losing his place in heaven. Satan being evicted, expelled from heaven. The victory of the victorious one to expel the evil one, and then stage whatever it is, two or three of the devil's plan after he is expelled from heaven, what he does, what his plans are for the earth. Those are the upcoming episodes. Um, so be praying for me. I'm going to just keep plugging into these incredible passages. There's so much here. I really need God's help to, to do this well, to do this effectively, because that's really my heart. I want to be excellent in delivering the word of God to you. I want to preach and teach the word with all clarity, with all power, that your heart would be filled with faith 
and that you would give praise to God and give thanks to him, that you would draw nearer to him than ever before, that your prayer life would be inspired. I'm calling you to watch the signs of the times. We are to watch. We are to pray to enter into God's redemptive purposes for his church, for this world through prayer. And we are to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ, declare the gospel of the kingdom of God and his, his Christ. So I'm, I'm encouraging you to, to, to do that today. Thanks for joining me. I hope it's a blessing to you. Um, I'm, just, I'm just glad to be in the journey with it, in it with you. Um, appreciate your support. Appreciate your love. Till next time. That concludes this episode of Babylon Singularity. I want to thank you for tuning in. If you're looking to hear more from me, you can find me on Twitter as well as my website, BabylonSingularity.com. I've also authored a book titled Babylon, available on Amazon. I look forward to hearing any thoughts or feedback, comments that you may have to help me make this show better. I do hope it's a blessing to you, and I hope that you'll tune in next time to Babylon Singularity.